0: Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your
1: team every day. All right, all right, all right. It is Thursday here on Locked On Dolphins. Thursday, December 3rd, 2020. We are entering into week 13 of the 2020 season. The Dolphins will be facing the Cincinnati Bengals and thus we will be having a crossover with our friends over at Locked On Bengals to talk about the paths of both the Dolphins and the Bengals this season. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, and today's episode is brought to you by Pepsi. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they have joined another league The League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi. Made for football watching. Made a really interesting and engaging discussion with uh, Locked On Bengals that I want to bring the entirety of that conversation to everybody. Talking about... These two teams, relatively speaking, started in similar spots. They hired coaches in the same head coaching cycle. They both went without a new franchise quarterback for their first full season. They have drafted quarterbacks in the top five of the 2020 NFL draft. And yet one of these teams is moving in the right direction in the Miami Dolphins at 7-4 and four, entering this football game. The other, Zach Taylor, uh, through his season and three quarters – at this point, has won four football games. It was really enlightening and interesting to speak with James and Jake about why that is, what the Dolphins are doing well, what the Bengals are doing differently. And I think it will give Dolphins fans a really great appreciation for the direction that this franchise is in, considering where they started in tandem with Cincinnati and seeing what Cincinnati looks like. But before we get there, a little bit of administrative items. Uh, The Dolphins' (laughs) running back situation continues to be a a bit of a struggle. Uh, The Dolphins tapped into a committee effort in Week 12 against the Jets with DeAndre Washington, Patrick Laird, and Matt Breida all contributing uh, a notable number of touches. Now, of course, their momentum on the ground game was stymied by two fumbles, one by Matt Breida, the other by Patrick Laird. But the Dolphins have been working without running back one Miles Gaskin. Savannah Med stepped into the starting lineup as an undrafted rookie and showed great promise before a shoulder injury cost him week twelve as well. Well, Miles Gaskin is eligible to return and he is at practice, but we do not know if he will be back in time for week thirteen. Matt Burita with the fumbles and never really getting started. Savan Ahmed was limited with the same shoulder injury that kept him out of Week 12, and now DeAndre Washington, who Miami acquired at the trade deadline and showed the promise in Week 12, has a hamstring issue and did not participate in Wednesday's practice for the Dolphins. This never stops. It's an ongoing struggle with running backs, but here's what I'm here to tell you. I don't think it really matters who plays running back this year for the Miami Dolphins because at the end of the day, the room in its entirety is limited, and the running game is not good. And the Dolphins, regardless of who should be at running back, if they're going to tell themselves that if, well, Miles Gaskin is back, we have the ability to run the football at a high level and they're going to try and run to set up the pass or whatever, I think what you saw the Dolphins have success with when they finally had a chance to get something going on the ground game against the Jets, they passed to set up the run. And if you do that and you force teams to space out and get the light boxes – It's going to help you in the run game. And the Dolphins, with their RPO concepts, with Tua Tungvalu as the the quarterback, those RPO concepts can also be very helpful in creating the numbers advantages you need to have success in the run game because the Dolphins, at this point in the season, they're not just going to line up across the line from an opposing team and run the ball and impose their will on anybody. It's not going to happen. There's too much inconsistency. There's too much inexperience. It will come with time. And the Dolphins are still going to have to heavily invest in the running back position and the skill players in general for this team. But that can't happen in season. So whether it's Miles Gaskin or Matt Breta or Savannah Med or DeAndre Washington or Patrick Laird or we saw one rep last week against the Jets where we had Lynn Bowden Jr. lined up in the backfield with, with Ryan Fitzpatrick. It doesn't matter because the Dolphins' success is going to have to come... A player's not going to fix the limitations regardless of who the player is. So the Dolphins stylistically are going to have to play a brand of football, and you could make the case that if they are playing with a limited running back room that may force them into that approach of passing to set up the run. Draw action, delays, definitely continuing to run out of the shotgun. The play action passing and and having second-level defenders continue to guess or second-guess their reads or freeze just for a split second. These are the kinds of things that the Dolphins, regardless of who it is at running back, So if you see the headlines that, oh, DeAndre Washington didn't practice because of a hamstring, yeah, it stinks. You never want anybody to be unhealthy. You want everybody to have success, be healthy, play the sport that they love, and not have their body pay the price. It's a contact sport. Injuries are going to happen. You don't want it. But at the end of the day, this Dolphins running back stable I don't think it matters who's going to play because they're not effective. They're last in the league in yards per carry at 3.6. And yes, you'll get some chunk runs, and, and we saw a chunk run from Pat Lair before he fumbled the football last week. We saw some chunk runs from DeAndre Washington. A couple weeks ago, we saw chunk runs from Savannah Med. It's more the game situation versus the talent. There's a reason why the, the Dolphins got Savannah Med off the waiver wire after being undrafted. There's a reason why Miles Gaskin was a seventh-round pick. There's a reason Pat Laird was a UDFA. There's a reason why Washington was pinned down as RB4 in Kansas City or whatever it was, and the Dolphins gave next to nothing to get him, like a future seven. And the perception that, well, running backs don't matter as far as team building and player evaluation, there's a, a something of a case to be made that if you pass to set up the run, or if you have personnel up front on the on the line of scrimmage, uh, you can have success with lower investment players at the running back position. The Dolphins are going to have to do that by playing a style of football that passes to set up the run. Period. We here at the Locked On Network have been big time proponents of the Built brand and Built's newest product, Built Go. Just ups the ante even more. It's a workout gel that's built to help you break through your mental or physical wall each and every day. It's easy to take. It comes in a one and a half ounce package. You put it in your back pocket, in your golf bag, in your briefcase, in your glove compartment, wherever. And it's always ready to go when you are. It's the best workout gel on the market. It's like five hour energy without the same crash feeling like drinking a monster with a third of the caffeine and better results it comes in three delicious flavors my personal favorite is chocolate mint but there's also peanut butter honey and chocolate coconut bilko combines energy gel with collagen protein which is fast absorbing and it gets into your system fast and it's easier on your stomach it's loaded with the good stuff to ignite your system beta alanine b3 honey caffeine and it's built to kick all day long with b6 and b12 So visit BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED and you'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. Now it's time to get into this crossover series, which I greatly enjoyed with Jake and James from Locked On Bengals. So Dolphins fans, keep it locked in. Tomorrow we're going over the game plan to beat the Cincinnati Bengals. But for here and now, let's talk about the snapshot of these two franchises where they each started, where they're going, and why you as a Dolphins fan should be super excited because what we're experiencing, teams that were in Miami shoes as recently as 2019, not all of them are getting this same experience.
2: It's that time of the week, time for Crossover Thursday. And for more on the Dolphins is the host of Locked on Dolphins, Kyle Krabs. And the fun part about this, usually, Kyle, it's just me. But since you're so special,
1: Jake decided to join us. So You have to deal with both of us. No pressure at all. And Jake already teased. He's fascinated to talk about this team. So I feel absolutely no pressure and it's totally fine. I'm cool with it. And it's good to be linking up with you guys here.
0: I have a very important question for you that I would like to start with. That has nothing to do with the Dolphins or the Bengals. Would you describe Tyreek Hill as a superstar in the NFL?
2: A superstar. That's the key word.
1: I feel like he's super productive, but uh, I'm not sure I would qualify him as a superstar. All right. All right. Major, mainly because, to be fair to – I don't want to give James – don't want to let him get too inflated here. He's <laughs> overshadowed on his own team by his quarterback to such a degree. All right, I dug myself it. a deeper hole there. I don't no, know. Jerry Rice crazy.
0: did it with, with those quarterbacks that he had in San Francisco. Anyway, uh, that's fine. I, I guess I'm too much of a football junkie. I think Tyreek Hill might be the best receiver in the NFL. Might be. Not saying he is. I think it's close. Anyway, let's let's talk a little bit about this game. James, I'll hand it over to you. You're, you're more used to these things than I am. I just want to talk about, you know,
2: no, things that's that, fine. that
0: we can't decide between the two of us.
2: And let's start with a guy that honestly is closer to being a superstar than Tyreek Hill. And it, 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 I think that is true. And I'm not saying it cause Kyle's on to a tongue of Iloa Kyle. What, what's the the latest? I know he was limited on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Do you expect him to play? Is it going to be the, the Ryan Fitz show? What do you think?
1: I think the dolphins will continue to play it conservatively with Tua a tongue of Iloa, the way that they've structured their offense. Uh, they they've played it fairly close to the vest and some dolphins fans almost get the impression that they're, almost babying him to a certain degree, but I think they're being very deliberate in picking, choosing their spots uh, with him as far as what the offense looks like once they put him into the game. And I would anticipate that bar, if we don't get a setback, I would anticipate he will play. I think they would like to get him some more game reps ahead of next week's game against the Kansas City Chiefs. And uh, quite frankly, he played very poorly against the Denver Broncos, and, and Vic Fangio did some great stuff to confuse him Uh, So I know a lot of Dolphins fans were disheartened that he couldn't get that quote-unquote get-right game against the New York Jets.
0: This will be another chance for one of those get-right games. The Bengals have been a cure to all that ails quarterbacks for the most part this season, with guys like Tony Brown and LaShawn Sims playing cornerback for the injured Trey Waynes. But let's talk a little bit about Tua. A lot of Dolphins fans and Bengals fans went back and forth in the Mm -hmm. preseason during the draft period. I know you're a big draft guy over at the draft network. In addition to your locked on dolphins duties, did you feel like Tua was the guy all along for the dolphins? Do you feel like that was best case scenario or did you, if there was a world where the Bengals fell in love with Herbert? Were were you a a burrow guy? If there was any way for the Dolphins to get burrow, were you one of the trade up guys or were you let's stay put, use the three picks draft to a, I think he's a fine prospect.
1: So where I kind of dug my heels in the sand was I don't want to give up the draft capital because the Dolphins had so many holes to fill and needs and the risk you run. If you give up your three ones to, to hypothetically try to coax Cincinnati out uh, you're, leaving whatever quarterback you get in a compromised position, which you can't really build around him. And I think that's one of the uh, differences in what we saw, how Joe Burrow played with how magnificently he did play, but the toll this season took on him and the hits that he did versus Miami. They're starting two or three, depending on the week, rookie offensive linemen, uh, two of which were top 40 picks. Uh, So that was kind of, I was cool with Herbert. I was cool with Burrow. I was cool with Tua. You could have talked me into Jordan Love if they chose to go a different direction early on. Um, but for me, it was the sum of this entire draft class. Their strategy was to draft by volume. So don't compromise that to just go out and get one guy.
2: Now that they they went that route, they made those three picks. Uh, obviously, Tua, I think he's played in five games this year. Uh, are you? is he about where you expected him to be? Are you surprised they, they inserted him into the lineup when they did? Or do you think that was a good move? I mean, they are in the, the thick of the playoff race, I think. And we'll get into this. I think Flores has done a great job. Was it the, the right time? And have you liked what you've seen so far from Tua, even though it's a, a limited amount of snaps?
1: One of the things, I, I don't think the move was the best move for Miami for weeks, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. But one of the things Brian Flores talked about in the preseason that I thought was really interesting is he makes all of his decisions for what is going to be best to help the team win. What is the best decision for the team? But sometimes that decision is more of a what do we look like 10 weeks from now versus what we look like in the here and now. So I think for Miami, them understanding some of the limitations that Ryan Fitzpatrick has understanding what direction their offense wanted to go. And it's been very startling to see the number of RPOs and the frequency of them that have been put into this offense over the five or six uh, weeks that Tua Tungvaloa has been the starter versus what it was in the first six weeks of the season. I think those variables at play, hoping that you could get Tua to a point where he was comfortable in the offense and you could get enough of the playbook onto his plate that his ceiling would surpass that of Ryan Fitzpatrick at the end of the season. And I think that's a tightrope that they've been trying to walk. And from a wins and losses perspective, because they have a fairly balanced team, they've been able to do it despite some frustrating performances from the offense. So
0: let's talk about the success that Brian Flores has had in Miami. He's built this balanced team. He's obviously got this defensive track record. he, by all accounts, has been fantastic at developing talent. He's obviously got buy-in down in Miami, even after some of the controversial, I would call them controversial trades, Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, Laramie Tunzel, the, the cornerstone kind of players that led to the Dolphins accumulating that draft capital. Zach Taylor, on the other hand, comes into a situation where, you know, everyone's saying in the front office, this is a most aligned that the GM in name or in practice, Duke Tobin has ever been with a head coach. He's saying all the right things. He's this young guy, but but things have just fallen apart. He can't win close games. He hasn't been able to win on the road. He probably picked a lot of the wrong assistants, including your old friend Jim Turner. What would you, from, from an outsider perspective, and someone who's very familiar with what Brian Flores has done in Miami, if you had to point to some specific differences that have led to Flores' success, by com- by comparison, or, or if you compared it to Zach Taylor, what factors would you point to for, for Brian Flores in Miami?
1: Yeah, one of the big efforts that he made early on that actually didn't materialize was he tried his absolute best to get an accomplished, experienced, offensive mind to be his assistant head coach. And the vision for that was Jim Caldwell in year one. Jim Caldwell... Eventually, took a leave of absence. He never coached a down for the Dolphins, uh, but he was kept on as a consultant in 2019. And then they brought in Shane Gailey, who's been around the block and has coached. You know, was was in Pittsburgh and previously the offensive coordinator with the Dolphins in the early 2000s, and was the quarterbacks coach for John Elway at one point. So he's seen a lot of things. And the one thing that Brian Flores does exceptionally well is he delegates and he trusts that he has the right people in place to execute the day-to-day operations. And he's really done a a great job of getting resourceful and dipping into the college ranks to find young, energetic coaches that are teachers. And you've seen a lot of player development from Zach Sealer, who was a a waiver wire claim off of uh, the waivers from the Baltimore Ravens, in December of 2019 and and has developed into a a viable starting defensive lineman. They just signed into a three year contract. Nick Needham was a UDFA. Preston Williams was a UDFA who granted had a lot of physical talent, uh, but needed to be catered along and provided structure around him in the Dolphins locker room. And you're seeing players getting into new roles as well. Like Eric Rowe, having a career resurgence after being moved to safety midway through 2019. So those coaches, that delegation, and the attention to detail and teaching and and preaching your fundamentals and core principles on a day-to-day basis, I think is the one thing that has really helped instill this culture of player and team growth simultaneously in Miami.
2: Kyle, I'm I'm sure you were sold on him at some point. When was that? What was it? The end of last year? Was it when they started to make their push? This year, and it looked like they were a playoff team. When did you, you see Flores on the sideline or think about it and say, all right, the Dolphins got their
1: guy? I don't want to say it was too premature. Uh, I remember watching him coach when they beat the Indianapolis Colts in their ninth game last year. They started 0-7. Mm-hmm. I liked that they were aggressive in week week six last year, and they went for two to beat Washington, and they didn't get it And he. He coached like he had nothing to lose. And you think about what, how vanilla Adam Gase's offenses were in Miami. And you thought about how Joe Philbin was so afraid of game management that he never once took a risk. And you're seeing Brian Flores break out these trick plays and fake punts and going for it on fourth down. And it's like, you have a more progressive offensive coach when you stopped trying to pursue one and just went and hired the best guy for the job in a defensive coach and Brian Flores. So that start to finish last year and the exclamation point was of course the week 17 win over New England to see them lose in week 2 43 to nothing at home to New England and then go to New England and beat the Patriots when they needed that game to secure a first round bye that for me was probably the man like this is really different from everything I've experienced in the last decade
0: I think that that is some very interesting perspective for Bengals fans to think about and and to really try to dig into some of what Kyle just told us about the experience with Brian Flores in Miami and compare that to what they've observed themselves and their opinions of what's happening under Zach Taylor in Cincinnati coming up next I'm sure Kyle has some questions for us about what's happening in Cincinnati this year as uninteresting as this team might have might have become without Joe Burrow there's still a football game to talk about and Joe Burrow is still pretty fun to talk about because he is still the future. We'll get into that coming up next.
1: We are continuing the locked on crossover series with Locked On Dolphins and Locked On Bengals. And I'm really interested to to have a conversation with you gentlemen as well today because as we look at these two teams that drafted QB one and QB two in the 2020 NFL draft and look to inject a lot of enthusiasm. Dolphins fans have unenviable or expectedly become envious with what you've seen from the play of Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert this season, but an unfortunate reality check when Joe Burrow suffered the left knee injury that ended his season. So I'm curious from you guys' perspective, having watched this, this team all season long, there's a perception in Miami that they, they have a very poor supporting cast around. And what is the perception of the supporting cast that Joe Burrow had coming into this season versus how you saw that unfold throughout the first two months of the year?
2: Oh, I mean, the perception, I think everywhere across the country, including Cincinnati, is the offensive line wasn't good enough, was never good enough. And the Bengals didn't do enough to protect Joe Burrow. And heck, you could go back months before the draft of people in Cincinnati being worried about protecting that guy that they knew they were going to draft in Joe Burrow, the same guy that won undefeated at LSU and set all those records. And so that was a concern from for even the most casual football fans, I think, in Cincinnati. And obviously we know what the national talk was And, and the Bengals just, they didn't do enough. I, I don't think that's why Burrow got hurt, but I think there are a lot of fans that feel that way because they only signed one offensive lineman in free agency, Xavier Suafilo, to a three-year, $9 million deal. I mean, that's a backup-type guy, right? And they were going to start him, and he's been on injured reserve most of the year. And then they drafted Akeem Adeneji in the sixth round, and thats that's it. That's what they did to help that offensive line. Now, they got Jonah Williams back, a former first-round pick in 2019, and he certainly helped at left tackle, but that's, that was the issue coming in. And and I think that was the worry all season long. I mean, before the Pittsburgh game three weeks prior, I I remember fans, even Jake and I were talking about it like, Oh man, TJ Watt, Bud Dupree, that pass rush is scary. And the problem is you have a, a guy in Zach Taylor, who's at least somewhat coaching for his job. I don't know if it's that serious, especially now, but in his mind, he knows he needs to win some games and Burrow's his best chance to do that, and he's dropping him back 40, 50 times behind a, an offensive line that was below average. So, it, but, but it was his best chance to win. So it, it was really a tough, tough scenario and, and an unfortunate hit. And that's that's not why Burrow got hurt. But that uh, that is certainly when you talk about perception. I think that's how a lot of people view the injury. They're angry at the organization for not doing more
1: to protect him this past offseason. And Dolphins fans, unfortunately, got a taste of that not with the number one overall pick, but when Ryan Tannehill was there in Miami and, and was charged by Joe Philbin to drop back 40 times a game throughout the early impressionable years, is there any concern that what Joe Burrow was exposed to throughout the course of this season as far as you know, lack of consistent pass protection? And obviously they Cincinnati had some nice games and the Tennessee game seemed like it was a really bright spot as far as Joe avoiding pressure in that football game, but the overall body of work is there. worry or concern now that if you don't get this right, this off season, you are facing the pressure of potentially wearing on Joe Burrow's psyche as a quarterback. Or is that sensation there that, you know, he is who he is because of the mentality he is, and he has, and he's not going to be super flappable in that regard.
0: I think he's incredibly mentally tough. And I, that's something that is borne out by the evidence of of pressure rates and sack numbers from this year alone going into the Baltimore game in week five or after the Baltimore game in week five, he had been sacked eight times against Philly or seven times against Philly and eight times against Baltimore or vice versa. I can't remember. But, but from that point on Joe Burrow was actually like the fifth least pressured quarterback in the NFL. And so that's not to say that the Bengals offensive line suddenly got better. But I think what that tells us about Joe Burrow's unflappableness, if that's a word, is that he and this offense or, or he specifically was able to elevate this offense where the line couldn't do enough to, to let them operate probably as they want to. And I believe that this is pretty evident if you look at a lot of what they're doing, getting the ball out of his hand quickly, running play action, getting him out of the pocket. And they started keeping extra guys in for protection where early in the season, they were notoriously going empty. And I think that in one regard the, the Bengals coaching staff learned from their mistakes. And in the other, Joe Burrow has an incredible amount of control at the line of scrimmage to the point where CJ Uzama, a veteran in the NFL said in the preseason, when there was no off season program for Joe Burrow, that he was getting them into checks that he didn't know the quarterback was allowed to make. And so I think you're seeing from Joe Burrow the ability to thrive within adverse situations. And obviously he has to do that now with an injury, but his ability to adjust and his ability to his intelligence, I guess I should say, to to see what coverages are, to figure out where the ball should be going for a rookie extremely advanced. And I think that bodes very well for his future. Now, is there a problem if year two is the same as year one? And, and say he's back for week one, which is still a question. I think he had his surgery today. We're not exactly sure about that. It was hinted at in Zach Taylor's press conference today. But I think if, if he's back and everything's the same, I worry about it a little bit. Against Baltimore, you started to see him drop his eyes a little bit. You started to see his pocket awareness deteriorate. But I think that was more of he was getting looks that he wasn't prepared for. He was getting looks that he hadn't seen before. And I think that he's the kind of guy that learns so much from seeing things the first time. I was really excited to see him play Baltimore again and to see him play Pittsburgh again and to see how he adapted. Unfortunately, we're going to be robbed of that. But I have a lot of confidence in Joe Burrow's mental toughness to come back from this injury, to come back from taking all these shots this season. And I think that he showed us some glimpses of how he's going to deal with that even in this season itself.
1: So looking at this offense for week 13 without Joe Burrow in the picture, what are any sources of optimism? What were some of the biggest discrepancies in obviously a small sample size with you know the remainder of the game when Joe Burrow got hurt and then last week uh, when the Bengals turned to Brandon Allen at quarterback? But what were some things that looked different? How is Cincinnati going to try to manufacture offense Uh Without Joe Burrow, and I believe you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but Joe Mixon, this will be his third week on injured reserve, so he's not available this week as well.
2: He's not. So, and that's a key to me because I think last week they didn't run the ball enough, and, and that—that's just the reality. Is that they went empty with Brandon Allen on their very first offensive play last week, and he's not Joe Burrow. And I get you're going to have to do some of the same things, but I think this extra week, maybe they do kind of try to get more creative and run some more maybe reverses or creative ways to get the ball to Giovanni Bernard and their other running backs, because otherwise, I mean, if I'm the dolphins and they have two really high end corners, well, you like your chances against T Higgins, even though he's having a good year, you like your chances against Tyler Boyd and AJ green. Just isn't that guy or hasn't been that guy during the first 11 games. So it's really, it's tough to, to ask Brandon Allen, Hey, throw it all over the field. When you have a defense that obviously in Miami, they have multiple high end corners and uh, an offensive line that is is below average. So I think it's tough. Obviously, they're going to have to still funnel the offense uh, through Tyler Boyd. They'd love to you know get him into the eight reception, 10 reception range if they could. I just think it's going to be much easier said than done because you lose all of all of those instincts and that natural feel and all of those reps that Burrow had with Boyd because they were in a real groove. And so without that, without turning to the run game, I don't really know how the Bengals will consistently move the ball down the field. Their lone touchdown drive last week was uh penalty, aided by penalties, by multiple uh, a pass interference in the end zone, things like that that the Giants do, mistakes they make that I wouldn't expect the Dolphins to make. And, and so I, I think that'll be a key is somehow trying to get a running game going that I'll be honest, they haven't really been able to do outside of one half against the Jaguars. They haven't been able to get the rushing attack going much at all this year. So that uh, it's an issue, and it's been a problem, but it's something
1: I think that Bengals need to do on offense to try to take some pressure off of Brandon Allen. I would like to ask you guys one defensive question as well, uh, specifically about the linebackers for Cincinnati. Miami, you could tell looking at the the early game script that they had in Week uh, 12 against the Jets, they were anticipating Tua tonga was going to be available. They ran RPOs on half of their first 15 plays. Uh, and those RPO concepts looking to isolate that linebacker who's kind of on the fringe or maybe on the hash. I know linebacker's been a sore spot for Cincinnati, and they drafted Logan Wilson in the third round and Jermaine Pratt in the third round the year before that. What is the second level of this defense look like? Because that's where some teams that have had success against Miami, when the Dolphins have had the football, has has been – Beating offensive linemen to blocks or being able to get out there and contest that throw that's breaking in towards the middle of the field. Dolphins run a lot of slants and in-breaking patterns and shallow ends, looking to attack the middle of the field. Seems like Tua coming out of the mesh point is going to continue to be a point of emphasis for them. So how have Cincinnati looked on the second level defensively this season?
0: I would call it an inconsistent mixed bag. In run defense, they're mostly relying on Josh Bynes and Jermaine Pratt. They're almost never getting three linebackers on the field, instead opting to put a an extra safety out there, which has mostly been Brandon Wilson, although he's nursing a hamstring this week, so maybe it'll be back to Sean Williams in that role this week. Maybe they'll give Akeem Davis-Gaither some more snaps, as he was their fourth-round pick, and his snaps have dwindled the last few weeks. Uh, in those passing situations, it has been still a fair amount of Josh Bynes. And it's been a lot of Logan Wilson. Logan Wilson has been increasing his snap count, I would say, all year. And Wilson has just been a little inconsistent. A lot of times he is in the right place and he and he has those good instincts and, and good enough athleticism. He has a couple interceptions. I think they came on tipped balls. One of them came on a tipped ball at the very least. Maybe the other one, he sat in front of a route. My my memory is struggling a little bit with that right now. But uh there are times when the fact that he played his college football at Wyoming shows up and he's not really sure where he's supposed to be on the field. Akeem Davis Gaither as well, Appalachian State always not certain where he's supposed to be, but but has flashed last week nearly intercepting the ball in a what would have been a spectacular diving interception, uh, but it was against Colt McCoy. So I don't know how much credit. Uh, you, you would want to give a linebacker for making a play like that. But I don't think it's a particularly strong suit for the Bengals. They have flashed at times. Josh Bynes is coming off one of his better games of the season, but he is what he is at this point. He's a veteran, probably best suited to be a two-down linebacker. And overall, I, I think that you know they're not asking the linebackers to do a whole lot. They're still hiding him. Jermaine Pratt, at times this year, has looked afraid of contact, which hasn't been a good look for him. He's still a pretty good tackler if he gets his hands on you, but the the discipline on the defensive line and at the linebacker level in in the run game in particular, uh, the gap discipline has been pretty bad. And so I know you're asking mostly about RPOs. I think those will be there for the Dolphins, certainly. But I also think whenever you talk about linebackers, it just makes me think about the fact that they have not combined very well with this Bengals defensive front, and I think there will be some running room for the Dolphins as well, if they're interested. Really, the only challenge for the Dolphins' offense is likely to come in the way of Jesse Bates being the best free safety in, in football this year and, and mm-hmm. really the, the lone bright spot for the Bengals on defense for the most part this this year.
1: My last question, it is not necessarily fully pertaining to the Dolphins, but there is some some interest here. Uh, Dolphins shifting eyes forward to 2021. Are you guys team Sewell? or team Jamar Chase, presuming that we end up with this top five pick for Cincinnati because Dolphins fans, they got their eyes on Jamar Chase, but I don't want to rule it out for Cincinnati given the lineage there with Joe Burrow, even though the Bengals do need the offensive line help.
2: I think that they could, and it's funny, we were talking about it on the podcast earlier this week. There's, there's some depth, as you know, at the the top of the tackle class, I think there's more than one, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just so well. And I think a lot of Bengals fans view it that way there's some other ones and a good argument could be made for going after a Jamar chase, especially if you are one of these other teams is willing to trade up a couple spots. You can trade down, let's say if someone's trading up for a field or Wilson or someone like that, and then you can still get chase. I think there's, there's an argument there and that's going to be delicate or a uh, debated rather uh, over the next coming uh, couple of months at the same time. I think, however, you can, protect burrow you need to do and maybe they do that by the draft and they're able to go out in free agency and get an established tackle and established guard but i think it's uh it's probably going to be a tackle if i lean that way but they have so many needs it's not just another receiver or a tackle they could go with a a pass rusher as well cornerback so the Bengals have uh, plenty of needs going into draft season so i won't rule out any of those positions i'm just gonna jump in
0: I, i i've i'm starting to hear some you know, Suel would have been the the fifth offensive tackle in twenty twenty kind of stuff, and you know some some real questions coming from guys like I don't know if you heard Dame Brugler and and Lance Zerline mm-hmm. talking about it, but uh, I, I offensive line is is a tricky position I think to draft where people get tricked into being overconfident all the time, and for me. I think that there, I I love Sewell as a prospect. I wouldn't be opposed to the draft pick, but for me, there's a huge temptation to try to find a trade back. And I really like Devonta Smith from Alabama personally. Uh, Mm -hmm. Something about that guy, even last year, I was hoping he would come out last year. He's a little bit older. Chase has the age advantage in a big way. And bringing Chase in to play with Burrow is very appealing. And like, I'm looking at a guy like Liam Eichenberg in the second round as a guy that can come in and play adequate right tackle. You got adequate left tackle and Jonah Williams go sign Joe Tooney, break the, break the bank at guard. And, and then you're feeling pretty good across the board there, I think with your starters, but a lot can change. Obviously we're, we're, we're recording this on December 2nd. What, what's your take? Where would you go? Have you done, have you done a recent mock on the draft network for the Bengals?
1: So I did give him Sewell the last time that I had them mocking. Uh, I would love, to To explore trade back opportunities like James, uh, like both of you said, uh, I I think if you can get even if you drop back into the teens, a, a prospect like Christian Derisaw at left tackle from mm-hmm. from uh, Virginia Tech, because mm-hmm. you're you're sitting in prime position if we presume Cincinnati, Jacksonville and the Jets don't win another game the rest of the season and the top three stay, quote unquote, chalk and Cincinnati's sitting there at three, and you have QBs going at one and two, that is such a prime opportunity for Cincinnati to take advantage of the remainder of the quarterback market and teams that are probably going to be picking in even the teens, like San Francisco and Chicago that feel like they're a quarterback away from making that jump. If Cincinnati can get one of those teams to desperately jump up and cash in on that, you could be talking about returning a first round pick in the teens, some pick in the top 50 this year and potentially an additional one next year to play with. So knowing that the Dolphins have really kickstarted their rebuild by embracing draft assets in volume and in mass, that is what I would try to do if I was Cincinnati trying to to find the best possible way to build out. Because as you guys said, this tackle class is suddenly looking much, much more attractive than what we maybe anticipated it was going to be in the summertime. Hope you guys enjoyed this crossover series. We certainly enjoyed checking in with Locked on Bengals. And we are excited for this weekend's game. So make sure you keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. I'll be back tomorrow to talk about the game plan to beat Cincinnati and hopefully move this Dolphins team to 8-4 on the season, which will put them in prime real estate to help get this job done and secure a playoff berth. So come on back. See you again tomorrow. Thanks, as always, for listening to Locked on Dolphins.